Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. The nights grow longer. The air develops a certain crisp. Ghosts, goblins, and witches take to the streets, while the virtual airwaves sizzle with tales of terror and doom. So welcome back to another terror-inducing collection of creepy chronicles and terrifying tales. But before we dig in, however, a little update on the upcoming virtual Monsters Among Us Halloween party. Here is what I know thus far. Friday, October 30th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Live somewhere on the internet. I have several guests lined up already. That info will be released later this weekend. Now this is an all-ages interactive virtual event, or virtual variety show as I've been calling it, complete with special guests, live music, vendors, costume contests, prizes, and paranormal trivia. So slap together a costume, dust off that webcam, and come join us for an evening of spooky fun and technical glitches. Oh, and I still need one or two brave souls that would be willing to tell their stories live on video. I've received a few messages from submitters already, and I'll be with you guys here shortly. And it goes without saying that I'd be happy to share some video evidence as well if there are a few good clip owners out there. So shoot me an email, subject line, Halloween party, so it doesn't get lost, and I'll see how much of this stuff I can cram into a two or three hour event. All right. Enough hemming and hawing for me. Let's get this party started. Hi, Derek. This is Peyton from Washington. I listen to your podcast with my dad, and I really like listening to your stories. Well, my story is I was around either seven or eight. I was camping in my backyard, and it was like 10 p.m., and I was looking at the sky from my tent, because there was a mesh in the tent, and me and my twin were looking at the sky, with a friend over, and my friend was doing that, and this weird thing happened. It was like something floating in the sky that went across the sky very quickly. It was like a mesh green and blue color. They're like phasing through that color with the trail with that same color. It was really odd. It was like a multicolored comet. 
I did not know what to explain with that. And then the second part is the same thing happened a second time, like a year later, with a different person. It was absolutely the strangest thing I've ever seen. And me and my twin run remember it to this day. It was so crazy. Okay, that's my call. Thank you, and I really enjoy your channel. Goodbye. Thanks, Peyton. It's hard to say what you saw that evening, but the mention of it returning sometime later really rang a bell for me. Are you guys following this jetpack saga that's unfolding over the skies above LAX, the main airport here in Los Angeles? Check this out. That's our American 1997. We just passed a guy in a jetpack. American 1997, okay, thank you. Were they up to your left side or right side? Off the left side, uh, maybe uh, 300 yards or so, about our altitude. Okay, American 1997, contact tower, 120.9 or 5, thanks today. 120.9 or 5, we'll see you. Yeah, we just saw the guy pass by us at the jetpack. Okay, blue 23, use caution. Person in a jetpack reported. 300 yards south of the LA final at about 3,000 feet, 10 mile final. Yeah, but 23, we're hurting. We are definitely That is communication between an American Airlines flight and an LAX air traffic controller. Now, what's odd about this is that one, the space above LAX is obviously restricted. Two, jetpacks, although real, are still in their infancy. According to many experts, it would be very difficult for a jetpack to reach these altitudes safely. They exclaim there's simply not enough fuel. And moreover, it's near impossible for them to evade detection due to their notoriously loud engines. But what is perhaps most strange of all isn't about that incident that occurred back on August 31st. No, it's that it recently happened again. On October 14th of the decade, sorry, the year 2020, a China Airlines flight en route to Los Angeles from Taiwan also reported seeing a man in a jetpack cruising roughly at their same altitude of 6,000 feet. Here's that correspondence. So how about Chinese JJ-60, we just saw the flight object at the 6,000. MC-006 Heavy, can you say that one more time, please? Uh, we just saw the, the flight object, like a flight suit just passing by us, 6,000. A flying object, was it a uh, UAV or was it a jetpack? Uh, like a jetpack, uh, too shiny, uh, uh, too fast. That is the 006 Heavy, Roger, thank you. Okay. Number 215 Heavy, there was a jetpack reported about 13 miles ahead. Uh, copy them right to uh, Southwest 2478, contact Los Angeles Tower, 133.9 or good day. That was the day, Southwest 2478. Now, I'm certainly no math whiz, but if 3,000 feet is difficult to achieve safely with modern-day jetpacks, I assume they stand no chance at reaching 6,000 feet. Although it seems as though these strange flying humanoids, if that is in fact what we're dealing with, is a new phenomenon, but that's not the case. Reports of these things, especially the jetpack variety, have been seen all over North America. One of the most recent locations is New York City. But to add yet another wrinkle to this mystery, 
These things have been reported for decades. It has been seen in the skies over the California coast, the lush Pacific Northwest, the deserts of Arizona, and craggy limestone peaks of Mexico. Eyewitnesses report seeing large, human-like creatures floating or flying hundreds of feet above them. Most appear to be wingless, and some are covered with a kind of cape or hard exterior suit. The beings hover or glide silently through the air. Now that clip comes to us from the History Channel program Monster Quest, Terror from the Sky. The episode goes on to feature a video of one of these entities above Santa Monica, California. A mere stone's throw from LAX. And of course, there are more contemporary examples. I've linked to a few videos of these mysterious hovering humanoids. So go to the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com. Click on the show notes and have a look for yourself. Form your own opinion. Whatever they are, I've seen enough to know that we have the makings of some sort of flap. So hold on to your jetpacks. And thanks again, Peyton, for segueing me into that interesting subject. Now what do you say we ground ourselves a bit? Hailing from the state of Oregon, Goonie country. Our next caller has quite the ghostly tale. Hey, Derek and listeners. Back in the fall of 1999, I was attending Pacific University down in Oregon, and it was a family weekend. And my parents came down along with my grandmother, did the campus tour, did some classroom stuff, met some of the you know the college friends and the like. And my dad decided, okay, let's all go out for dinner. If you're familiar with the Portland area, you know about the McMiniman chain, the kind of a location, brewery, hotels, entertainment, theater sort of folks. And they do a really good job. You know, it's pub fare and good beers. So we went to their location of the Gales Creek brew house. It's fall in Oregon. So it's, it's dark, it's wet, it's clammy, it's rainy. It's a little bit windy. We park, we get out and we start hanging in and we're all hungry. And my grandmother looks up and she goes, who's that little girl? And I remember my mom's just like, oh, let's just get inside. And I was just like, come on, grandma, don't trip. And she's like, well, why is that little girl waving at me? We get inside and how the architecture of this building is, is we ended up dining kind of up on the second floor. And we get up there and we're in this farmhouse is probably built in the 1840s or 1850s. And we're in there, we're doing our things. And grandma just kept looking around. Once she gets focused in on something, you know, she gets focused in on this. And she kept asking, where's that little girl? I don't see this little girl at. Why was she waving at me? And our waiter, you know, he comes over. My grandma says, who's that little girl that was waving at me? And he says, what little girl? And, you know, she describes her as, as in this white dress. And she was waving at him. And she had, like, dark hair. And he just went white, absolutely just white. And he goes, oh, well, you saw the ghost. And my dad and mom kind of chuckle. And I was like, what? what, what's going on here? And grandma just, you know, she's not buying this. She takes him and she's like, well, she pointed at me from right here. And this is where he calls in for one of the other employees. And they start telling us the story about how there was a girl that died there at the house back in the 18, you know, 1860s, 1870s, take your pick. The story goes is that there was an older sister and she pushed the younger sister down the staircase 
Now, where this window was at was the window right before the old servant's staircase. Now it just got turned into a, a different room. Because it's Mephinimans, they kind of dive into the lore and legend of this place. And there's paintings of what this girl would look like had she lived to adulthood. Uh, up on the second floor, there's the wood closet. You know, it stores the wood that goes in the fireplace. And you open up this closet, and there's this, the painting of the girl, what she would look like as an adult. And then the story goes, the next year, the girl that pushed the younger sister down the staircase, she herself died at the staircase. And this time it was the main staircase. So if you go over to the other side, you can look up and there's this other little painting of the girl. She's kind of waving back down at her. We drive back and grandma just can't believe this. She saw a ghost and nobody else saw it. And of course, I'm just kicking myself because it's like, why didn't I look up and see the ghost? And according to my mom, the five hour drive for them to get back to their house, that's all grandma talked about was this ghost and all this. And this was in early, early October. In December of that year, my grandma had a stroke and she was absolutely convinced it was the little girl that was trying to kill her. And, you know, she was telling this to my mom and she, you know, slept with the Bible by her side. And now keep in mind that she was not overtly religious, but, you know, there it was. And she was just absolutely convinced that this little girl was out to kill her. You know, in terms of the family, we kind of, you know, tell the story and we kind of, you know, chalk up to grandma's eccentricities, but it's kind of the family's cool little ghost story that's, you know, there to it. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you, caller. Reminds me of a dining experience I had many years back. It was some seaside town near Long Beach. Sarah and I were driving by and on a whim decided to get a bite to eat and maybe a beer. This place was some sort of seafood joint with a sleazy, swanky bar inside. Fishing nets, seashells, that kind of thing. It was my kind of place. Well, we sat at the far end of the bar and I took the last stool, which turned out to be nearest to some sort of darkened entranceway. I later discovered it was a stairwell for employees, I believe. Well, anyway, as the bartender came over to get her drinks, I, out of nowhere and out of character, looked into the stairwell and quickly blurted out, Who's the big guy? I quickly followed by, Is this place haunted? Or some desperate attempt to save myself from embarrassment. To both mine and Sarah's surprise, he just smiled at us. And finally he said, well, that's Jack. He was over seven foot tall. Now apparently Jack opened the place many years ago, and he was a larger-than-life character. In structure, attitude, and apparently, death. To this day, I still couldn't tell you why I said that, or how I knew it. But I'll just add it to my growing list of strange and odd occurrences. And while we're on the subject of ghosts, I'm still running Julie's call from Season 10, Episode 6 over and over in my head. And judging from the buzz on social media, I'm not the only one. I know some of you want my opinion on this story, but I honestly just don't know. But this much I can tell you. I believe Julie believes what she saw. And I do not mean that as any sort of insult or 
question on Julie's character. I simply mean that, to Julie, this was completely real. Be it a ghost, trauma-induced hallucination, or some sort of mental lapse. Perhaps a strange reaction to medication. But all that said, here's what I am willing to say about her experience. The details were simply too sharp, and the story too wild for it to be quickly formulated. I don't think it was a prank. And if I can ever find that news clip, the reality factor will certainly go up a good bit. So circling back, thanks again, caller, for sharing your entry. I love old places like that. Man, I am long-winded tonight. It must be the fall air. Well, if you're tired of hearing from me, and you would like a chunk of the spotlight, I suppose, you can simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the website for more submission options. Now, our next entry in the evening is an alluring proposition, an escape from reality. Please welcome Ray from the Show Me State to the program. Hey, Derek, this is Ray from Missouri. I'll tell you something different. I've had something happen to me several times throughout my life, and I think it may explain actually a lot of the paranormal activity we've got. Every so often, I suffer what I call shifts. Now, what this means is that I think I think what's going on is I think I move into a parallel dimension, parallel universe, where things are very similar to like they are here on Earth, but slightly altered. I'll give you an example, probably the most dramatic one. I live in southwest Missouri. Several years back, I was teaching at a local community college, which is a fairly good drive for me. That way, one night I was driving back from there. And whenever I feel, whenever these shifts happen, it's kind of a weird sensation. Like you're sitting in a chair and someone walks up and kicks the side of the chair without you, without you knowing they're there. Kind of a hard jerk to the side feeling. Anyway, so I was driving down the highway at night and I felt this and suddenly the road surface changed. Before it was a typical country asphalt secondary highway. Now, the road surface was solid black. There was no stripe in the middle, but there was a uh, defined hump right in the middle of the road between the two lanes. And it had a like a more reflective coating put on. The rest of the road was just absolutely matte black, no reflection of the light at all. But the edges of the road and the center ridge had a highly reflective coating put on it, is about the only way I can describe it. And it was done in the same way that our current road system's done, and that if it was a broken line, it was a passing area, and there was no hump. But if it was an area that where the no, no passing was allowed, then there was a raised hump, and it was solid. Anyway, you know, at first I thought, well, okay, something's going on, or maybe they're trying on a new road system, maybe something's going on. But the thing is, I'd driven that same road just a few hours before, and this black surface hadn't been there. There's this gas station about halfway between my home and the college, where I always stop off and, you know, you usually get a cup of coffee or a useless soda type thing. I pull in, go in and get my soda, everything's normal. But as I come walking out, there's a guy standing there, and he's looking at my car. I come walking up, hey, how you doing? He's all fine, fine. He says, 
that's a beautiful car. He said, what type of car is it? I said, well, it's a Plymouth Solstice. You know, you may be familiar with the Plymouth Solstice convertibles. And he says, Plymouth? I said, yeah. Where, uh, is that a foreign made? Is that European or something? I said, no, it's a Plymouth. It's American made. And he gives me this kind of odd look. He said, really? Do they still build them? I said, well, yeah. I said, they don't build the Plymouth Solstice anymore, but they do build Plymouth. He's like, well, okay, whatever. And he turns around and starts to get into his car. And I'd seen the car as I walked up. And I thought it was like a 2010 Chrysler 300 is what it looked like. But now I could see the front of it. And it was different. The biggest major difference in it was that besides the two regular headlights, there was a single headlight in the middle of the grill. And instead of the Chrysler symbol, there was this odd kind of T-shape, almost like the Tesla symbol. That's what it looked like. But it was a T-shape, a stylized T-shape on the hood. Now I looked at it and said, oh, excuse me, I said, that's a beautiful car. What is it? And he looked at it and said, well, it's a Tucker 300. I said, I, you mean it's a Chrysler 300? And he's looking at me like, I was like what? You know, we, it was almost like we couldn't understand each other in a way. He said, no, man. He said, this is a, this is a Tucker 300. Haven't you ever seen a Tucker 300 before? And he shakes his head and gets in his car. And when he turned it on, all three headlights come on. And I noticed that as he turned the steering wheel, the center headlight tracked the front wheels. And he pulls out a lot and drives off. I'm sitting there just going, okay, now this is just getting weirder and weirder. So I get back in my car. Like I said, I drove away from the gas station after he had left. And I uh, drove a little ways, and all of a sudden the road surface changed. Yeah, I felt the thump, and the road surface changed again. I was back on normal-type asphalt. And I thought, now, that's just weird, too weird. So at the next driveway, I turned the car around, went back, and I couldn't find the road surface. The black road surface was gone. It was back to being just normal asphalt. So what I think happened is I think I shifted into a parallel universe, very similar to our Earth, but with just slight differences. That was probably the most dramatic shift I've ever had happen. But I think it's happened several times in my life, usually just not so dramatically. thing is, this would explain a lot of our both cryptids and a lot of the paranormal activity, if there actually is bleed over from other parallel universes. Maybe your mirrored men are that. Maybe you're actually seeing mirrored images in several dimensions of the same person. Bigfoot comes to mind. I mean, the reason people haven't found a Bigfoot body or been able to capture one. What if they can move from their dimension to our dimension at will? You know, they come over here, do a little bit of hunting or exploring or whatever, and they we see people, that they just shift back. Anyway, just some thoughts, and uh, love the show. Keep up the good work, and talk, talk to you again soon. Thanks, Ray. That's a fun one. A shift seems like the perfect way to describe these strange circumstances. But a shift to where? Another time, another place. Or, as Ray suggests, another dimension. Now, I particularly enjoyed the details about the road and the vehicle, but I'm curious as to what other subtle differences could be detected. Did Ray hear any strange music over the radio? Was the signage different? And perhaps my biggest question is, how was Ray able to pay for the goods he purchased at the gas station? If the cars and driving surface are different, then we have to assume that the payment systems are as well. 
Now, I like the idea of someone in another dimension showing off a strange $10 bill he received from a guy in some strange car. Who the hell is this Hamilton fella? Thanks again, Ray, for sharing that one. I think right now, I'm sure more than a few of us would willingly shift to another dimension to escape this dreadful year. Now, it's true that 2020 has been anything but enjoyable. But there is a way to interject a little joy into your lives. Hit up the shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop and go get yourself some new Monsters Among Us merchandise. And the holidays are right around the corner. And these awesome items make great gifts for that MAU fan in your life. Now, back to what makes it the best. The callers. And our next one has a doozy for us. From the hills and mountains of California, please welcome Mark to the show. Hey Derek, this is Mark. So I'm calling to give you my short story along with having the clips to kind of support my story. So me and my buddy went up to the Sierras outside of Fresno, Lake Shaker, Lake Huntington area. And we were staying in a cabin slash house off of Lake Huntington on July 17th, 18th, 19th. And, you know, we had a cabin up on the mountains, I don't know, half a mile from the lake. And there's other cabins slash houses there as well but they're spread apart i would say like everyone's like an acre or two away and you know they just kind of disperse throughout the mountain or whatever some dead spots and so forth but we were right against the mountain and it was a big mountain on saturday night we were barbecuing and it was just about dark when we were barbecuing so i don't know 8 30 to 9 o'clock and i heard this howl but it was a huge howl very loud and very deep and it, I, I remember I was, I don't know, I was preparing something outside for the food. And when I heard it, I just, my ears, just, I just lifted my head and I looked. It was just so out of place. And then my buddy came out and I was like, did you hear that? And he's no. And then a few minutes later, it did it again. And it did this kind of sporadically for a while. I don't know, like a, 20 minutes or something. But then at one time... It was really loud. It sounded like it was close. I was like, I got goosebumps. Um, and I included the clips, so I don't have to try to describe it. But it you know, just kind of reminded me of the American Werewolf in London when they're walking on the street and they hear the howl. It doesn't sound like that, but it was kind of like that feeling. And it had different cadences. It would go like, how, how, how. Five minutes later, one how. It kind of did that. It did that for a while, like an hour maybe. Then didn't hear it. We went on with our night. But then around like 10 or 11, we were inside the cabin. We could hear it and sporadically. So then the next morning, I woke up and it woke me up at 5 a.m. And it was really loud. And I kind of was scared. Um, it sounded like it was really close. Anyway, so I was laying there for like an hour because I thought it would go away. But then I finally, the sun came up. It was just barely getting light out, so I opened the front door and I recorded it with my phone. And I sat there for a while and took a couple of different audios to capture it. So I was able to capture it a couple of times. And when it got light, 
So I think it was like seven o'clock or something like that. Cause we're against the mountain. So it gets light a little later. Um, it stopped, never heard it again. And we were there, you know, like half of that day and never heard it. So the, the weird thing about this is that we got there Friday night and we, I don't know, we got there like about 8.45, right when it got dark. And we hung out all night and I never heard it. We were up to like 11, 11.30, never heard it. And then in the morning, we woke up to go hiking. We were up at 6 a.m. because we went and hiked all day and didn't hear early in the morning like I did that Sunday morning. So anyway, it was really loud, really deep. It echoed through the canyons and I did some research and I played cougar screams, bear screams, wolverine screams, howls. I looked in the Sierras, what animals are there. And I went to YouTube and I played them and nothing came close to what I researched. The howl, the growls. And like I said, this thing had traveled through like the whole mountainside and it was deep and the cadence changed. Anyway, really creepy. I looked everywhere. I've researched to try to listen to animals that would be in the Sierras that sounded like that. And I came up empty. It gave me goosebumps. It put me on high alert. And maybe you've heard something like this before. Maybe somebody uh, has heard something like this before. I don't want to jump to conclusions. Obviously, Bigfoot, Dogman. Um, I have no idea because I didn't see anything. But I've never heard a sound like that before. And it was definitely made the dark forest around us even scarier as we sat on the deck. All right, thank you. Thanks, Mark. Well, you guys already know what I'm going to do. I took Mark's original recording, which you can hear here, loop twice. Now, as I've touched on before, I'm not an expert in audio and or editing of any sort, but after over 250 shows, I've picked up a thing or two. So the following is my attempt at a clean version of these clips. I'll play them in full twice. I don't know, Mark. Typically, these mystery howls are easy to write off as a coyote, elk, bobcat, or some other benign wildlife. But this one is different. It's deep, forceful, and gut-wrenchingly mournful. But, does that make it a Sasquatch? Maybe. I certainly can't identify it, nor rule that creature out. But I'll continue digging, but... Maybe an attentive listener recognizes this sound and knows of its origins. 
but I'll tell you this much. Whatever it is, I'm sure glad it's not out roaming around my campsite at night. So thanks again, Mark, for sharing. Now, as we know from countless entries that Sasquatch isn't the only creature said to howl in our forest late at night. Strange canine-like beings are also reported to roam the countryside. So please allow Harvey from Indiana to elaborate. Hi, Derek. My name is Harvey, and I want to say, first of all, I really enjoy your show. I'm only just finding it in the last couple of weeks. So my story is more of just kind of like a, a quick little anecdote. It's it's nothing too crazy or too involved, and I really don't even know what to make of it. I'm in my mid-40s, and I've been obsessed with uh, all things paranormal for as long as I can remember. I've never had, as far as I know, a paranormal experience. I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen a UFO or anything like that. Just really, really interested in, in that kind of phenomena. But I will say that when I was a, a little kid, a real little kid, you know, and I'm talking maybe somewhere around four years old to six years old, I, I'm not really sure. I do have a very vivid memory of um, being alone in my room in bed at night and we had a we had a big house we, I this the area that I live in is, is kind of adjacent to Chicago I live in Northwest Indiana about 30 or 40 minutes from from the heart of the city we lived in a big brick house uh, in the middle of the block and my bedroom was at, in the back of the house on the top floor and my bedroom window kind of looked out toward the alley there was nothing underneath my bedroom window like no garage roof or anything like that so anyway, I, I have a, a very distinct memory of being in bed. This is going back four decades. So I don't remember if it was one night or several nights or a couple of weeks that kind of amalgamated in my head over the years. But I have a memory that I've never been able to shake. And I'm, I'm certain it wasn't a dream that uh, in the middle of the night, I would see looking in at me through my bedroom window, a dog. And I'm not talking about a werewolf or something that had like dog-like features. I mean, I would see a dog looking in at me through the window, not trying to get in, not growling or howling or barking, just looking in at me. And I, I have memories of it being different dogs. And I don't know if, like I said, that's the result of me amalgamating the memory over the years or the memory just changing shape over the years and maybe it was just one time but that's why I think it was more than one occasion because I do remember different dogs and I kind of remember like a beagle type of dog and a German Shepherd you know just basic dog breeds I remember it scaring the hell out of me and not really being able to understand it because obviously there's no way a dog could be outside my window up on the second floor when there was nothing to support him there was nothing holding him up so, you know, the only thing that my mind goes to is is that it's uh, what they call a screen memory. I'm sure you're familiar with that term. You know, when you're abducted by aliens or you encounter aliens, they'll either erase the memory or they will put a screen memory in your head to where you either remember seeing something other than aliens or that you actually at the time are seeing something other than aliens because they're cloaked. I'm not saying that I was abducted by aliens or that that's what I was really seeing. I'm just saying that that's the 
closest thing that I can come to understanding how I saw what I saw. Anyway, I, I do remember that very distinctly, but I don't have anything contextual to offer. I don't have any way to support it or anything like that. But, you know, that's my little story. That's what I hope is a, a tiny little contribution to your show. But even if you don't use this anecdote, keep up the great work, man. It's a fantastic show, and I'm really looking forward to more episodes. Take care, bud. Thanks, Harvey. Okay, let's address the werewolf in the room. Usually when we hear of a dog-like creature looking into a second-story window, our minds instantly track to an eight-foot-tall, snarling, growling dogman. In fact, the werewolf is deeply rooted in Hoosier folklore. But, unlike the human-dog hybrids of Michigan and Wisconsin, the Indiana Bigfoot is a bit of a Boy Scout. The legends of the creature were transplanted there by French trappers, but as I said, these beasts were a little different. One such monster was said to befriend an ill hunter and actually nurse him back to health. Another reportedly rescued a farmer after his horse plunged him into an icy river. Still other legends persist of these creatures fighting alongside humans at a time of war. Not the typical stance we see these brutes take. But Harvey was adamant that this wasn't a dogman or a werewolf. And I simply can't imagine a beagle-patterned dogman. So yeah, his screen memory certainly could explain the odd sightings and would also lump this in with some of our past bedroom visitors. The chimp, dinosaur, and the abundance of owls come to mind. So Harvey, that theory is just as good as any. Thanks again for calling it in. Now, after listening to Harvey's submission, it reminded me of one I received a while back. See if you can spot the not-so-subtle connection. Hello, I am a rather new listener, um, but I'm calling in response to a story, I believe it was on Season 9, Episode 18, um, and I heard it a few days ago on a road trip, so my memory's a little hazy here, but she was talking about a fox creature that she would um, see, and she was wondering if anybody else had similar experiences with it. And I grew up in a really small town in Wisconsin, and we had an unfinished basement that my family finished when I was in probably middle school, so I'd say around like 06 to 08, and we started sleeping down there for sleepovers. And I hated being in this basement. I hated sleeping in it. And one thing that would happen is I would wake up in the middle of the night while sleeping down there and see a blue fox head, just the head, floating over my knees. And it made me very uncomfortable. And as I got older into high school, so now we're talking like 09 to 012, I would start to see this blue fox head other places. Like I would take the trash down our long rural driver at night and I'd see it behind me. And I thought I was losing my mind. I grew up in a religious family, but I myself was not religious. But I had a very, very good friend 
who came from a very religious family. Like, they weren't allowed to do Halloween, any of that. And I never told her about the blue fox because I didn't want her to think I was crazy. And one night, I'm awoken, and it's above my knees, and I look over, and I realize she's awake, too. And she's staring at us, kind of mumbling under her breath. And I just did what I usually do when I shut my eyes. So the next morning, I asked her about it, and I was like, can you see it, too? And she proceeded to tell me that it was a demon and that she had done some sort of prayer to make it go away and to let her know if I ever saw it again. And I never did. I'm now 26 years old. I haven't talked to this girl since 2012. I don't know if she remembers the story, but there is my experience with a blue fox creature kind of following me around. And I don't know if any of my sisters ever saw it, I never asked. Um, I now have left Wisconsin, and I have way more spookier stories I'll call in at some time with. Um, I currently live in a haunted house, so that's fun. But I just thought that might help her to know that somebody else has seen a similar creature. Thank you, and have a great day. Thank you, caller. There's no doubt there's a few major differences between these two entries. But I couldn't help but notice and subsequently point out that both entities witnessed seemed to be canine, disembodied or at the very least displaying extraordinary hovering abilities, and above all else, appeared several times to children. Now I think that this is one of those stories I turn loose to the listening audience. If either of these tales ring a bell, we want to hear about it. Now, I have a couple more I want to squeeze in, so let's quickly kick it over to my home state of Ohio. This one is going to make so many of you happy. The following was submitted anonymously. How's it going? My story takes place in Columbus, Ohio. This was probably, you know, early 90s. I was in the fifth grade at the time. I'm 37 now. I used to have to walk home from school every day by myself. You know, this was just what it was. You know, you didn't have the same things that you thought about now, back then, or worried about your children walking home or anything like that. So I would walk home by myself, come home just like any normal day. You know, and my family, we lived in a, just a normal house. Um, it was a perfectly clear day in, in the summer in Columbus. It wasn't, wasn't particularly hot or anything like that. I used to go upstairs every day into my room and do my homework and my my room overlooked the front door you know so i would just go up there get my homework done and if anybody came or if anything came to the door i could easily see it and they couldn't see me necessarily so this this day i walk home get in the house and everything's normal you know i start doing my homework as normal and the doorbell rings so i look downstairs you know like i normally do and it looks just like a, a, a normal kid, a, a short little regular looking kid. Uh, he looked like he was probably about my age. The only difference between what normally would happen and what happened this time was that he looked up and he had the darkest, blackest eyes. I mean, it was almost like there was no eyeball there. It was just a black socket, 
you know, and it kind of reminded me of the masks that were made on Beetlejuice in the movie Beetlejuice. Um, there was a scene where Beetlejuice made a mask out of the faces of the two protagonists, and it, it reminded me of that. I was smart enough, at least as a little kid, to not go investigate. I just closed my blind and kind of just waited it out, and eventually, I guess he was gone. You know, this was just something that always stuck with me, and it, I mean, it didn't scare me as much as it just it just shocked me. Like I was just frozen for a minute because of those eyes. But anyway, I love your show and I appreciate it. You know, this is, you know, in kind of your old stomping grounds as well. My old stomping ground indeed. I can't wait to get back there, catch a game or two. So, here we go. Is this a person with no eyes, just simply empty sockets? Or is this one of those infamous black-eyed kid experiences that we're always hearing about. Most folk with general knowledge of the paranormal have heard of these chilling children. They knock on your car window or front door late at night and request, nigh insist, that they be let inside for some arbitrary reason. Now this all seems innocent enough until you notice the eyes, void of all color, a shiny black like the eyes of a shark. It's then the two and two doesn't add up, and their strange requests and odd manner of speaking suddenly strikes you as unusual. A split second longer, and who knows what might have happened. Now the same can be said for a man named Brian Bethel. Back in 1996, Bethel experienced something that, like our mirrored men, will eventually snowball into a nightmare of epic proportions. On a dusty night in Abilene, Texas, Bethel had parked outside of a movie theater to write a check to be deposited at the bank that was next door, when suddenly... All of a sudden, I hear this knock on my window, and I look over, and there are these two boys, probably about the age of 9 to 12, wearing pullover hoodies and jeans, really kind of nothing untoward about them immediately, so Bethel does what most would do when approached by a pair of children. He cracked his window and greeted them, assuming the boys needed help or possibly money. He listened as they laid out their creepy demands. The boys mentioned they wanted to see a movie and they forgot their money, needed a ride back to their home to pick it up, claiming that it wouldn't take long. Despite their innocuous request, something didn't sit well with Mr. Bethel. But immediately there's this fear response, this just absolute terror at the idea of even being near this pair of kids. And it's completely inexplicable. I don't understand it. I, I can't even begin to comprehend where it's coming from. Suppressing his inner fight or flight, he does his best to reason with the children, offering alternative solutions and doing his best to escape the situation. And that is when things escalate. I could tell he's starting to get a little irritated. And then he says, and I'll, I'll always remember this, and look, mister, we're just two little kids. We don't have a gun or anything. So at that point, uh, this fear has just mounted to an absolute fever pitch, and I cannot understand why. And so I think, okay, we, we've got to apply some logic here. 
Now, Brian's logic was to quiz the boys on the film they intended to watch, thinking that if they could quickly answer that question, then it increases the chances that they're being truthful. The boys swiftly respond with the film Mortal Kombat, a film Bethel knew was playing at the theater. That's when he realized there was a gaping hole in the story. I look up at the marquee and I see it, it starts at 9.30, I think it was. And I look down at my clock in my car and it's already somewhere around 9.50 or so. So it's now obvious that they did not intend on attending the movie. It would be nearly over by the time they would return if they were given a ride. But all those thoughts quickly drip away when Bethel turns back to the children. I look over and I finally notice what, what's been tickling at the back of my brain to make me so frightened of this. And it's their eyes. And they're just black. Absolutely, totally coal black. Now as it would most normal folk, this sight gave Brian a fright. And at last he succumbed to his fight-or-flight response and he began spilling out apologies and excuses anything to escape their darkened gaze that's when the kid from the front started slamming on the window just absolutely beating on it he is furious and he says mister we can't come inside your car unless you tell us it's okay let us in now brian bethel did the sensible thing and hauled it out of there but the story doesn't end there. In fact, this was only the beginning. Friend of the show and fellow paranormal podcast host Ryan Sprague sat down with Bethel and was kind enough to let us use some audio from that interview. Ryan actually speaks with Bethel for almost an hour on his hit show, Somewhere in the Skies. And I've linked to the full episode in the show notes, or you can simply search Somewhere in the Skies, episode 29, in your favorite podcatcher. You won't regret tuning in. They go into some great detail that I was not able to include here. And a huge thanks to Ryan and our caller for their contributions. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And the terrifying score that you hear. That's co.ag music and white bad audio. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. And until next time.
Now tonight's secret entry could be one of many different phenomenon. But I'll let Sarita tell you about it. Then you can decide. Hey Derek, my name is Sarita. I've been listening to you for a few weeks now. And I've really been wanting to share my story. It sounds nothing quite like anything that I've heard so far. But it has similarities to other stories. Maybe like the Men in Black or the Mirror Men. So... I was driving down the road I'm in Melbourne, Florida, and it was a somewhat busy road, uh, not a really main road, but I wouldn't consider it a rural area by any means. So I'm driving the road to about 45 miles an hour, and there's this car that's going like really slow. So I drive by them and look over, as you do when somebody's driving like a jackass, so I look over and see these two humanoid-type creature things. They were really tall, gangly. Uh, they had, like, elongated arms. And they were just moving, like, really strangely. Like, I don't know, their arms were just swerving around. Like, it was so weird. The things that I saw that were in this vehicle were very pale. And they had very elongated facial features as well. And I think they were wearing uh, like hand clothing. They almost looked like definitely something out of a, a movie. I don't know. I tried to Google something that looked like them and came up with nothing. So I drove past them because I was going the speed limit. And I pulled over to where I was going to turn off the road and just waited there to try to get another look at these things. And um, I don't know, I just got freaked out and it felt like they were taking forever, so I just took off. So that's about it. I mean, there's, I don't know if you consider it a weird thing, but I only saw two. There could have been another one in the backseat. But I don't know, it was weird and not like anything I'd ever seen before. And I've thought about it nonstop since. And especially your podcast, I just really felt like and I had to get off my chest and see if anybody's seen anything similar. Thanks for what you do. I love the show. Bye. Thank you, Sarita. I think we're missing too many elements to call this a mirrored men sighting. We're obviously lacking our third man. And most importantly, no missing time. Now, her mention of the men in black is interesting. The overall look and behavior is not dissimilar from reports of the men in black, but a few glaring differences stood out to me. The clothing that the men were wearing. They're called men in black, not men in beige or tan. Cars reported by men in black witnesses are said to stick out as vaguely generic yet familiar, and almost always reported to be black. Now granted, Sarita didn't make mention of the vehicle, but you'd think that if it had a strange appearance, that she probably would have mentioned it. But beyond all that, it's important to point out that many men in black reports, especially from those that have seen these menacing figures up close, also describe them as having strange physical features, almost as if their skin does not fit their bodies. But I'm sure that's nothing to worry about. Thanks again, Sarita. And thank you for sticking around 
to the end of the program. Have a good night.